it's your girl Rebecca and Lily and you're listening to just ghouly things (laughs) that was such a beautiful harmony that was very melodic I think I think that was a very beautiful fitting intro for today because we have a lot we're covering some cool stuff we're covering Oh, let me finish mm-hmm. with the intro, though. Hey, boo things, and we're your boo people hosts, <laughs> Rebecca and Lily. Woo! Hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so we have a lot to cover before we get into the topic that we're getting into today, which is Lily, this was Lily's suggestion for this week, and I got so many different, um, different, uh, what would I say, ideas or, um, I don't want to give away the subject. Um, different of the, I don't know. Like a lot of different materials? Yes, yes. I don't know why I'm having a brain fart with with making words come together into sentences. <laughs> Am I smelling toast? Um, anyway. <laughs> but anyway, I found so much information and I was struggling on what two things I was going to pick. So mm-hmm. I ended up doing more research on a bunch of other places we're going to be talking about. And hopefully okay. we'll do a part two maybe in, like, October during spooky season, and then we can revisit it, and then I could talk about those two. I don't know if it was the same for yeah. your research, because I it was hard for me to pick what two I was going to do. I was like, oh, my God, they're so good. I know. I was, I was having a hard time, too. I really, like, narrowed it down, like, in my search history, because there are so many places, like... Because you find also, like... I don't know about you, but when I do my research, like, listicles really help me. I haven't used get, like, listicles. My source materials. So, yeah, I like, you know, they'll like BuzzFeed has them, Vice has them, Bustle has them. And um, for those of you who don't know what listicles are, they're articles that list things. So, what I do is I go through and I find, like, on that subject, like, let's say we're doing haunted, I don't know, cruise experiences. You'll always find, like, on Vice or Bustle or BuzzFeed, like, 23 haunted cruise experiences to do before you die. And then I pick one of those and research it. Oh, okay. That's what listicles are? Okay. I didn't know, like, the actual term for that, but fuck yeah, I use that all the time. Okay. <laughs> okay. That makes more <laughs> sense. All right. I just I just read them as articles, but listicles is such a more appropriate term for those type of articles. So, okay. I learned something new already, and we barely got started. So... Um, okay. I don't know if you, I don't know if you looked into our private Facebook group recently, Lil, but did you happen to see the video that I posted in our private Facebook group? I did of the orb. Yes. Okay. That's the video I just sent you through text. I wasn't sure if you saw it, but you can always revisit it. And, um, I'm going to watch it again real quick. Yeah. I'm going to post this on our Instagram page too. follow us on Instagram at just Glowy Things Podcast. And uh, you could check it out for yourself. So let me give you a little background because I was very vague in the description when I posted this just because I wanted to see, first of all, what people would have thought. So the other night, it was around like 3.13, I believe it said on the... Uh, no, it was 2.18, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, 2.18. Yeah, it was 2.18 and I was fast asleep, but Michael was waking up because he was hearing footsteps going up and down our staircase, doors opening and closing... Um, so he thought that it was maybe the next door neighbor because we're, we're the corner unit, but there is someone next to us. Um, and while this woman, she doesn't really walk around a lot. She's, she's kind of sick. So 
For her to be walking up and down the stairs in the middle of the night as loud and as clear as it was, opening and closing the door, it was just very odd. So Mike was just like, hmm, like, I wonder if it's maybe someone outside, but, like, everything's so close and there's not a lot in our area, so things echo a lot easier. Yeah, okay. So last week, uh, he put up our doorbell alarm system. So it's, like, one of those systems where you click on the doorbell and then from our smart devices you can see who's at the door. It notifies you. You can, like, do face recognition, packages. It's really, it's awesome. Um, We've been meaning to put this in, and he finally did it. So he was like, oh, let me just check the camera and see if maybe someone's outside the door, someone's maybe going into their car. So he he pulls up the app, and mm-hmm. immediately he sees this white ball of energy just in front of the door, our door. And it's moving in such a way that it was not a bug, because you can tell the difference between bugs on camera and orbs because bugs are a little more erratic with their movement. They're all over the place. Um, also, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, this one had it just had a, a purpose with every move it was making. It kind of was just in one concentrated area. And mind you, we none of none of our neighbors, none of us had our our uh, lights on outside, so. It wasn't like this was a, you know, this was a, like a light energy or something coming from a source of light and not like, you know, showing itself off of something. Yeah. It was just its own entity. And then if you notice too in the video, um, as I've continued to watch it, it seems like this ball of energy kind of has like a comet-like tail at the end of it. Ooh, wait a minute. Let me, I just, I was just watching it while you were explaining it. Let me watch it again. Yeah, every time I watch this, I just it gives me the chills every single time. That's really odd. Yeah. It it's just it's so weird and the fact that he noted he just felt the need to check the security camera and he caught that so he mm-hmm. screen grabbed it. And then he was telling his mom about this and she goes, "Michael, you're not going to believe this, but at 2:08 her doorbell alarm system gave her a notification that someone was at the door, but when she looked, there was no one there. What? Just yeah. That same night? That same night. Holy shit. Holy shit. So, um, for those that... Do you, think do you think it's, like, his brother? Yeah, so this is what I'm going to get at. So, um, immediately, like, when he was telling me that, I'm like, it's definitely Alex. Um, for those that may, or, that may be new to the show... Um, right before we had started this podcast, a few months before, um, Mike's younger brother, Alex, passed away. And uh, even from, you know, transitioning, usually it takes a few months to even a couple years for a spirit to make themselves known through mediums or through other means. But immediately, he definitely was showing signs. We've gotten signs such as dragonflies and birds, specifically like cardinals and blue jays. Um you know, just like these noises, the doors closing upstairs, footsteps, um, just little things. Like if you ask for a sign, I mean, immediately just something comes to mind. And, you know, it's like his way of showing that he's still there. So, um, I love that. yeah. So when this happened, I was like, yeah, there's a thousand percent Alex. And the fact that it happened to Mike's mom too. So that yep. same day, um, we're going to be talking more about this in depth. Um, on our Patreon separately. 
but um, his mom is a part of this private Facebook group, and it's called Healing Grief with EVP, A Spiritual Journey. And this woman um, actually, so, so as you guys may know, EVPs stand for Electronic Voice Phenomena. And what this woman does is she has two different ways in which she communicates with spirits through EVP. The one source that she does, um, she puts water in her tub. She fills it half full, takes her elbow, uh, rotates her elbow into the water, and then it starts to make some sort of sound source. And then from there, she takes pictures that you send her of your lost loved one, and she's able Mm -hmm. to communicate... Um, so she records, she records the sounds of when she makes her the elbow go into the water, and I guess through water being a source of energy for spirits, she's able to produce EVPs of those loved ones that she's connecting with for you. So that's one way she does it. Um, I'm actually Rosie reached out to her and asked if we can ask her a couple questions so that we could post on our Patreon about what she does. And she was more than happy to do it. So if you don't subscribe to our Patreon now, um, check our Patreon out at... Just Goalie Things Podcast. And uh, we're going to kind of ask her a couple questions. If you have a couple questions that you'd like us to ask her, we'll be posting updates of that on our Patreon. So check that out. And I'm also going to be linking um, some of the EVPs that this woman got of Alex. So the first is through the water source. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is they got the EVPs the next day. Like the, like the next day, like after this whole thing happened with the security cameras of Alex. No, wait, the next day, like right after? Like, okay, so say it's 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. It happened, yeah. at, like she got the EVPs at 2 p.m. that Tuesday. Holy shit. Yeah. So this woman, not only does she communicate through water source... But she also records messages with human vocal gibberish. So what she'll... I don't know exactly how she does it. And this is stuff that we're going to be um, asking her in more detail on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. But somehow she okay. takes a bunch of different... Um, like like through radio. And she's able to take all of these different sounds. And when she asks questions, the way that the sounds mix the spirits are able to use that energy and be able to speak through the gibberish um, and actually gives a more clear, audible um, voice recording. And she's been doing this for about 10, 11 years now, and she's still working on it. I mean, it's I I don't know exactly how this works, how she came into this practice, but again, this is stuff we're going to be learning about more on our Patreon. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Um, If you have a lost loved one that maybe you would like to communicate through EVP using her, her private Facebook group is Healing Grief with EVP, A Spiritual Journey. Um, It's a private Facebook group. Um, She posts a couple of the EVPs that she receives through some of the... um, the group members, but she doesn't post all of them, obviously, because she wants some of them to be more intimate for the people that are getting these EVPs. Um, but you can listen to some of it so you get an idea of what to expect if you do want an EVP from her. Um, and you answer a couple questions just to make sure that you're not like a spammer or, you know, you're not going to be disrespectful in the group chat. And it's a really, it's a safe space. It's a nice community. It's all people that, a lot of them are people that have lost children. 
Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it's not limited to just that. It could be of a father or a sister or, you know, anybody. So definitely check that out if you're interested. And if you would like to hear, or I'm going to be writing down the interview with her. I'm going to email her some questions. Um, if you want to see that write up, check it out on Patreon. We'll go, we're going to have that up in like the next week or two. Oh, I'm excited. I might join that community. Like, just to kind of noodle around and see what kind of stuff there is. Cause that sounds interesting. That sounds like something I could kill hours doing. Yeah. And then I'm not sure if it's her or cause Rosie's very into the spiritual realm. And so she, I don't know if it's this Facebook group or there's another one. I have to just double check with her. It may be this woman though. She also communicates through the tub where she's able to take steam from water mm-hmm. and through the steam she's able to get take a picture of the spirit that she's talking to through the steam. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's, like, another thing. I think it's with this woman, too. I'll double-check. Um, but if not, also, um, we'll, we'll link all that for you. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I thought it was so cool, and it all seemed to be very relative to the experience we had the night before. So... Yeah, just a lot going on in the... Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see how it works out. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I, I listened to some of the EVPs that they that, that Alex sent through, and mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because you, for me at least, obviously I haven't been practicing, practicing this for 10, 11 years. She has. So some of the EVPs that she hears, I'm like, I could not even tell you what it's saying. Um... But when she tells you, this is what I heard through the EVP, Mm -hmm. and then you play it back, usually you want to play it with headphones because you can hear it better. And once you, once you kind of have in your, in your head, like, oh, okay, like this is what she heard. Let me see if I can hear that. It makes all, it makes a lot of sense. Interesting. And a lot of the EVPs that she got through of Alex were very relative to him as a person and stuff that. She wouldn't necessarily know. The only thing that Rosie had sent her were pictures of Alex, um, just so okay. she had an idea of who she was talking to or trying to communicate with. So, yeah, um, it's just it's it's so different. I've never heard of this practice before with EVPs. I just know EVPs of you have a recording or a recorder, and then you ask questions and hope you catch something. So okay. I've never I don't know about you. I've never heard of communicating with someone through water. Um, I never have either. It's a really fascinating concept, you know, and it's something that, you know, water does carry a lot of energy. So mm-hmm. it's something like, how did that, you know, how is that not more popular? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is just one Facebook group, one woman that does this. I find it very hard to believe that she's the only one that does this. So, you know, you can also, you know, if you're interested in this, do your own research, see if there's other people out there. Uh, She's in California, so she's on the completely opposite coast than where we are, and she was Uh able to communicate with him. So I don't think it really matters of where you're located. Um, I just think that spirits have a way of traveling to where they need to communicate with their loved ones. So, Hmm. yeah. Um, Lily, do you have anything else to add? I mean, I feel like I've been talking the whole start of the episode and I feel bad for talking no, so much. No, it was, no, I'm, I'm just really interested in this and trying to pick, I, I lost an aunt a few years ago, like four years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was so sudden 
and I was talking to my mom about it two days ago. It was so sudden, or maybe it was yesterday, that it's still, like, four years later, doesn't feel real. Mm, yeah. You know, like, she she wasn't sick, you know? She wasn't re- particularly elderly. Yeah. And I just woke up one morning, and my cousin was on my bed and told me that she had passed away, and I even after the wake and the funeral, it was never really processed. And it, in all honesty, just feels like she moved away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know I haven't seen her, but it, and I'm wondering if maybe that's something I could do to try to maybe get some closure from her because, you know, it's, you know, like with my, when my grandfather passed away, I knew that any, when he, cause he was really sick. I knew that any time I saw him could be the last time I was seeing him. Mm-hmm. So I always made sure, you know, to tell him how much I loved him and just spend time with him. Mm -hmm. And I never really got that opportunity with my aunt because I think the last time I saw her was probably my cousin's birthday party. And we, you know, chatted for a while and I was like, okay, bye, you know, see you at the next one. And then I just never saw her again. Yeah, there's no, you know, there's, you can read a million books on how to grieve or how to process the death of a loved one, but I don't think that there ever is a clear, definitive answer to it. Everyone, everyone copes differently. We're all different people mentally. Um, So I think that maybe, maybe checking out this EVP um, way of communication may be something that is of interest to you because it seems like you still need that closure in a way if it's really eating at you the way that you describe that it is four years later. Um, yeah. I mean, I, the, like, I feel like the death of a loved one never gets easier. I just think that as humans, we learn to continue to live our lives and try to keep a routine and try to get back to quote unquote normal. Mm-hmm. It's like no, yeah, the absolutely. animal in us. Yeah. So, on that note, um, do you have anything else to add before we talk about our subject for this week? Um, I mean, on the note of EVPs, I do have, I hope that you're able to listen, like your phone will let you listen to it while you're on a Skype call, because I sent you a link to an article that has an EVP that, Is that I what you texted me? when I tell one of my stories. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm recording. I have you on Skype through my computer so I can listen oh, to it on right. my phone. Yeah. So wow. I'm, good. I'm on my, I'm the one on my phone. My dumbass. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, oh. Speaking of Lily. Okay. So today I had to go to my bank and I had to deposit money because I always procrastinate going to the banks. It's on the other side of town, and I'm just lazy, and it was raining. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I have to do this. My bank account was begging me to. So I had to go (laughs) deposit my cash, and there was, like, a long line. There only was one drive-through that was open. And I was like, like, I don't want to wait here for this. But I just kept thinking, all right, if Lily was working at this bank... I need to be patient because there are workers like Lily out there that don't deserve to deal with impatient clients and customers. And I have to be nice and I just have to wait in line and just be thankful that they're taking my service. <laughs> so I end up getting Thank to the you, window. It's an honor. Yeah, so I end up getting to the window. And usually, you know, they usually have like withdrawal slips or something right there that you can just write it out yourself. They don't have that yeah. there. 
And she was like, oh, you were supposed to take, like, a deposit slip or withdrawal slip. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know where to get one. Like, I didn't see any here. And I guess because I was so nice to her, she was like, oh, it's okay. I'll just rate it up for you, honey. Don't worry about it. Just give me your... <laughs> and I was like, see, this is what happens when you're nice to people. I waited in line for 30 minutes, but I didn't care because that woman was so nice because... She's probably just a nice person in general, but I think it helped that I was also nice to her, especially knowing, like, she yeah. knowing that I was waiting there for, like, 30 minutes, and then I didn't have a slip to give her. I had the cash and everything else, but I just didn't have the slip. So, yeah. um, you know, just be nice to your customer service people. I think we have to talk about this every single week, but be nice to those that are working right now that are giving you a service during this time and any time, but more specifically now because we're all going through it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's funny. I realized that people at the bank are honestly a little more impatient and entitled, at least at the bank I've been working at, mm -hmm. um, than at the restaurant. Really? Yeah, and I think part of it is because I'm new at the bank, so um, a lot of stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing for the first time. Like, uh -huh. I have, like, the basic deposits, withdrawals, all that stuff, but a lot of other stuff, like, I either you know, have only done once and it was weeks ago and I forget, or I've just never done it before. Like this one woman was like, I'd like to exchange seven bonds. And I was like, how the fuck do I do that? What type you know, of language so I, is that? <laughs> so I, I think that part of it is just, they're used to coming to this branch and having someone who knows what they're doing and everything, you know, who's not running around like a chicken with their head cut off. I think the combination of that and also at the restaurant where I work, it's mostly locals uh -huh. and regulars who already know me and are used to, like, the pace. True, true. You know, but it's, you know, I always imagined working in a restaurant I would deal with the most difficult people, but no one at the restaurant has ever had the cops called on them. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. Did, I, did that guy ever show up again? Um, I, not yet. If Not you don't yet. know what I, we're talking I don't know. about, I mean, the people, I, he he goes there quite frequently oh, because no. uh, one guy recognized him just by his voice. <gasps> he was no. like, "Oh, is that insert name here?" And I was like, "What? Yes." Like, well, if so, you guys don't know what we're referring to, what was it? Last week's episode, we were talking about this. I think it was last week's episode. Yeah, yeah. check out last week's episode, um, and Lily will tell you this hysterical and traumatizing story of her experience working that week at the bank. Speaking of banks and restaurants, Rebecca, what is our topic today? Oh, oh my God. No, I'm introducing the topic. Okay. This week we are talking about haunted restaurants and bars. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this topic. I thought we've talked about this before, but I don't think we have. I think we might have, like, mentioned some haunted restaurants and bars here or there, but I don't think we've ever done like a, a full, full episode. episode. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is this is going to be an interesting one. Um, Lily, do you want to start us off since I feel like I – wait, do you always start us off? I don't even know what we do, do anymore. You do? Okay, so let's keep, it, let's keep the swing of things going. Okay. So my first restaurant is called – what's it called? <laughs> it's called the cranberry inn okay and it's in new jersey what part of new jersey i think south jersey oh okay okay so a little history on the cranberry inn 
Um, in the mid 1600s, and this is uh, like their history on their website, which was very full. So I just kind of like copied and pasted certain parts. Okay. So in the mid 1600s, in the center of the colony of New Jersey by Cranberry Creek, a mill town began to develop along an old Indian trail that had widened into a road. This road connected the colonies and was becoming a main thoroughfare for colonial travelers. In 1697, Cranberry Town received its charter from England. With increasing development, a need arose in central New... Okay, it's in central New Jersey. Oh, non-existent part. Okay. (laughs) Right? For a place to eat and drink, get fresh horses, and spend the night. Thus, in the mid-1700s, 1750 and 1765... Our taverns were built to meet these needs of the travelers passing through this area. After the colonies declared their independence from the motherland, this business was officially established in 1780. What is now the Cranberry Inn uh, has been functioning as a place to eat and drink since the 1750s. In the year 1800, Hannah Disbrow-Day and Peter Perrine were married in the Presbyterian Church across the street from the Cranberry Inn. Middlesex County Courthouse records tell us they, quote, built as their home the house that is now the Cranberry Inn. Their house was built across the front of our two original taverns built in 1750 and 1765, thus further developing and upgrading their business. There was a converted flu space, which is an alleged slave hiding place from the days when what is now the Cranberry Inn was an alleged stop on the Underground Railroad. So that that's cool, right? That is really fucking cool. There is actually um, an ice cream place in uh, the town I went to high school in that had like, it was like a little farmhouse and there was a little area that was used for the Underground Railroad, too. No so, way. Yeah, how cool is that? It's like, you can't, like, go in or anything, but... Wait, wait, wait. If I think... Yeah. I, if I, Okay, wait. If I think I know the place you're talking about, is it like they make homemade ice cream there? Yes. And it's, like, a whole farmland? Yeah. Okay, I know which one you're talking about. I've never been, but my clients tell me all the time how amazing their ice cream is. Oh, my God. It's so good their cake batter ice cream is to die for let's go that's actually the that's actually the place do you remember when we did our doppelganger episode and i told you my doppelganger story yes that was the ice cream place oh shit all right let's go see your doppelganger again are they open i don't know i I know you can order online and pick up okay maybe we should do that because i still need to see you but like let's go do that that'll be fun yes please yes okay anyway sorry So, um, however, an unusual amount of wear on the steps to the attic of the innkeeper's house and remnants of a door to a room and a shelf below, uh, which are nails to hang your cloak on, indicate that this attic space was used for far more than just an attic. Mm. So I don't know if what they're hinting at is that this was also part of the Underground Railroad or if it was like a brothel or if. It was an illegal apartment. Like, who who the fuck knows what was going on? It seems kind like, of... at the time, it was used for illegal activities. Didn't matter what it was, the Underground Railroad, a brothel, for the Prohibition. Like, it just seemed like it was just a no-no place. There was the some law. turpentine going on. <laughs> so, July of 1926, 
a 6,000-foot dance pavilion was opened on the north side of the Cranberry Inn by the Winklehoffers. Dances were held every Tuesday and Saturday night, which was later changed to Wednesday and Saturday evenings. Well, Perrine's band played. I don't know who Perrine's band is, but okay. Sorry, Perrine's band. Sorry. It's like the Mariah Carey. Like, I don't know her. <laughs> so, um, August of 1930, there was an 18-hole miniature golf course opened along the north side of the Cranberry Inn. It was lighted, quote, so as to play at both day and night. Fun. Right? So in 1930, the Winklehoffers sold the Cranberry Inn to Adrian and Marge Van Ravstein. Ravstein? Ravstein? The Van Ravsteins lived in another house in Cranberry, so they converted the bedrooms of the innkeeper's house to in-rooms, thus further developing and upgrading the Cranberry Inn's business. They remodeled our second oldest tavern, importing wood paneling, from an old hotel in Cape May and having murals painted as part of the WPA work project. It was in this tavern that Adrian's friend from Princeton would come to the Cranberry Inn to drink beer and speak German with his friend. That gentleman from Princeton was Albert Einstein. Oh, no big deal. Right? How casual are they about this? No big fucking deal. Just Albert Einstein and his smart ass just speaking German in their place right like imagine having that history there like no one like my restaurant I, I think Gerard Way was in there once okay that's pretty equivalent to Albert Einstein yeah that's right? okay like who could tell the difference I pff, beats the shit out of me so in 1982 the last of the rooms that the public stayed in were converted to private dining rooms a change that again further developed and upgraded the business the Cranberry Inn has a little room for two for private dining, as well as three other dining areas on the second floor, one with a working fireplace. Many famous people have been here at the Cranberry Inn, not just Albert Einstein. We can only speculate about the colonists and founding fathers who used the main thoroughfares connecting all of the colonies because there is no written docu- documentation to tell us if this was the way a particular person traveled or if this was a post house or inn they stayed at during those travels. However, we do know that mm, it's abbreviated to MME Chong Kai Shek, and her entire entourage were here in April 1943. And I meant to look up who that was, but I completely forgot. Who are you? I'm sorry, I did all this yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll look her up tomorrow, and I just, like, never got around to it. I'm sorry, MME, you're still anonymous. If you guys know who this MME person is, email us at... JustGoolyThinksPodcast at gmail.com So, uh, the prince and princess of the Netherlands were also there, and the entire city council of Moscow was there in 1995. Oh, okay, some um, royalty in this yeah. bitch. Right? A colonial historical event occurring in Cranberry Town was the encampment of General Washington's troops along Cranberry Cranberry Creek in June of 1778 under the leadership of Alexander Hamilton and Le Marquis de Lafayette. That's my French accent for you. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So, yeah. 
that's that's pretty much it. So there's tons of letters and everything, like, on the walls that they found in the place, like, to and from people from, like, the 1700s, like, cool. officials like George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, that were written at the Cranberry Inn. And it's on the walls right now? Yeah. That's so cool. So, in a review of the Cranberry Inn, it says the a la carte lunch menu is surprisingly affordable with appetizers like wings and crab cakes under $10 and entrees like shrimp and scallop scampi and tenderloin tips under $15. But today's article isn't about their mouth-watering meals. It's about their prolific paranormal legacy. Ooh. Don't be afraid. These are friendly ghosts. According to one of the owners, and I'm going to butcher this name, Gay Ingenieri? I-N-G-E-G-N-E-R-I. That sounds like gibberish to me. Ingenieri? I think the second G is silent, so we're going to say Ingenieri. That's how we're going to say it. Okay. It's definitely wrong. Please don't listen to this gay Ingenieri. I'm sorry. <laughs> Many ex unexplainable events. I almost said explainable as if that would be a good episode. <laughs> Many unexplainable events have taken place over the years. A pregnant employee had doors mysteriously swing open for her. And some staff members insist they've gotten telepathic messages warning them to turn off electrical fixtures. When psychics stop by, they say the spirits are warm and welcoming. They enjoy the afterlife at the inn. Who may the ghosts be? Likely past customers and employees who love their time on Earth here. One story says that a man hit by a stagecoach in the 1790s has stayed and doesn't enjoy renovations. Still, he doesn't mind guests. While specific spirits are a bit unclear, a recent paranormal investigation was able to detect mysterious orbs and EVP recordings. Ooh. Yeah, so, I was on Patch.com, and I found an article about a ghost hunt that happened there. Oh, this is the one you sent me. Yes. So, a little excerpt from the article. Two dozen guests, a mixture of the eager and the skeptical, entered the Saturday night uh, seeking evidence of paranormal activity for a, quote, romance, romantic ghost hunt. Under the tutelage of Philadelphia-based ghost hunting team the ferrymen the ghosts started off with a tour of the inn before exploring it across the street inn owners tom and gay Ingenieri, uh regaled the guests mostly couples with the history of the inn and the various people who have mentioned feeling a presence tom said unequivocally that he is a skeptic but he added quote things happen that's life things happen <laughs> Gay was more straightforward. Yes, we have a lot of spirit entities here, she said, going on to... Oh, I thought Gay was a man. Isn't Gay a man's name? Lily. No, that's, that's Guy. Lily. Guy is a man's name. I, I When I heard Gay, I immediately thought a girl. But I, I don't know anyone with the name Gay. So, I know a Gail... But not a gay. I don't know a gay either. I was thinking of, because guy is actually a name, like G-U-Y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was thinking of Guy. I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Gay. Oh, Gay Guy. Apparently, also, the name Guy in France, they pronounce it Guy. Oh, those damn French. Always confusing us and shit. Guy with their... Imagine, uh, like, imagine, like, a big, strong French man with, like, a mustache and a two-ton brown <laughs> bag just filled with baguettes. And he's like, yeah, my name is Guy. <laughs> Have you ever seen those videos of the, like, inexplicable sounds? And it's like, we got beep, we got er, we got z. <laughs> I've never seen or heard that before. <laughs> and they do one, I'll send it to you later, they do one with um, horrible taxidermied am- animals. And it is so accurate to these inexplicable sounds and it is so funny lily i'm gonna send that to you because you will die do because yeah please please do because i love just like random nonsense my humor is so fucked that like stuff like that makes my day (laughs) yeah you just watch ridiculous shit and like or like that sneezing panda video have you ever seen the (laughs) sneezing panda of course (laughs) classic exactly so um Yes, we have a lot of spirits here, she said, going on to ask who in the group was psychic. One person volunteered that she considered herself a sensitive. All of the psychics that have come through tell us that all of the ghosts in of all the ghosts in here, there's not a bad one in the bunch, Gay added. They love being in the inn, and that's why they're attached to the inn. When people come in and say, oh, isn't it warm and friendly in here? They don't realize they're experiencing the spirit entities here, she added. The ferrymen, considering, co- considering, consisting of Robert Esposito, Justin Debro, and Michelle and Dan Jackson, all of Pennsylvania, initiated the guests to ghost hunting by showing them the equipment that they had brought for them to use. The attendees got to take EMF meters and thermometers to check for strange fluctuations in EMFs and temperature and they were encouraged to take photos to see if they could capture any orbs or unexplained visual phenomena the ferrymen also used voice recorders to try and pick up what are known in the business as electronic voice phenomena evps the group followed tom ingenieri on a tour of the inn before the group split up to explore the grounds there and at the cemetery Afterward, the ferrymen provided Patch with several pictures of scenes showing orbs and audio files with voices they said weren't there when they were recorded. Take a look through the attached gallery and let us know what you think in the comments. So for our listeners, I am going to post, as soon as this episode is live, I'm going to post this in our um, official Facebook group, Just Gooly Things Podcast group. Um, with And it'll have the whole article and also there's a slideshow of pictures so rebecca if you want to um pull up that article now and if you scroll to the bottom there's um an audio recording the east windsor patch video yes okay so should i click play yeah click play and then just listen to the first few seconds because it's like four minutes of recordings but okay just to get an idea of it right now all right okay this is on february 12th Play it back. Can you stay up here when people come up? Yeah. With you, all right? Cool. Stay up here. I'll do something. Okay? Yeah, that's... Jeez, watch. 
Did you hear that? Wait a second. Hold on. I gotta go play this back. That wasn't them? I don't think it was, no. What? He's saying just watch it. Yo. There's a plate on the stairs. There's a plate? Yeah. Huh? Ooh. I don't know why this is on the stairs. That wasn't there. It wasn't? No. Why would... I would have never ever seen... I would have noticed a plate there. And so I guess a plate was randomly on the stairs? Yeah. This is another one. Say something. Say something. What the heck? These are pretty clear EVPs, too. Yeah. Oh, all right. I have two minutes left of these, so I'm going to save these for myself. But, yeah, definitely definitely link that to our private Facebook group because um, let us know what you guys think. And then just one last short story. Ooh, okay. Um, this is from urbanlegendsonline.com, and it says, I had a teacher who worked at the Cranberry Inn. She told us that it was haunted by the ghost of a man who was killed there in the 1790s. The man was run over by a stagecoach after having a few too many drinks. Apparently, ever since then, he has been haunting the place where he died, especially when the owners tried to renovate. As it was told, while my teacher was working there, the kitchen was beginning to be remodeled, and suddenly pots and pans started coming right out of the cabinets and striking people. I did hear that quite some time ago, so the preciseness of my memory may not be exact, but I assure you that there is certainly something haunting the Cranberry Inn in Cranberry, New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. So that's all I have for you on that today. Oh, interesting. And I happen to look up. So you told us all these famous people have stayed there, have eaten there, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I would like to ask, why on Yelp is it only two and a half stars? What? I am very disappointed. I want George to try the Washington food. Washington would have given that place five stars, and you know it. I am. The, I mean, the turkey dinner looks phenomenal. It's very. <laughs> the prime rib looks on point. So, I don't know. They have crab cakes, lobster tails. Decent we should portions. take a road trip there. Fuck yes. As soon as, like... But this is the thing. Right now, they're only doing delivery from what it says on Yelp. I want to be in there eating where Albert Einstein and George Washington sat their butts down. Exactly. So we got to wait. Hopefully, things get a little better and we can have that road trip sooner than later. I hope so. All right. Ready for my my first one? All right. Let's see. Let's go to... 
did I put it? Haunted bars and restaurants. I have everything. I have all my additional information on the same document, so this is going to be fun to read. Okay. So, my first restaurant bar that I will be talking about today is McSorley's Old Ale House, which is located on 15th East 7th Street in Manhattan, New York City. So, um, my sources where I've got it, the, the information I'm about to read you is from Nooklin and Road Trippers. So, Nooklin's article started off with this quote, and I had to add this in because it is so accurate and very well said. The oldest bar in the Lower East Side is not just haunted by the misogynist rules that didn't allow women to patronize the bar until 1970. It is also a thought <laughs> to have some more prestigious poltergeist. And I will get into um, more of the misogyny that occurred in this, in this bar. But don't worry. Don't cancel this bar just yet. They allow women in there, so don't worry. <laughs> in 18- The times, they are a-changing. Yes, they are, ma'am. So, in 1854, John McSorley, an Irish immigrant to New York City, came um, from the County Tyrone of... Um, I'm sorry. He came from the County Tyrone, opened up an alehouse on East 7th Street. Originally called the Old House at Home, McSorley's Old Alehouse briefly tried selling hard liquor in the early 1900s. Today, though, it now only serves two types of beer, a light ale and a dark ale. Um, and it's, it's very different because in New York City, you go to a bar and they have millions of drink options. This place, as I'm going to explain later on in my research, is a very cut and dry, simple bar. But it's simplicity that makes it so charming. So when it opened, the saloon was, like I said, originally called the Old House at Home. McSorley's has long claimed that its doors opened in 1854. However, historical research has shown that the site was a vacant lot from 1860 to 1861. So the evidence for the 1854 date was considerable, but secondhand. A document at the Museum of the City of New York from 1904 in founder John McSorley's hand declares it was established in 1854. And a New York Tribune article from 1895 states that it has stood for 40 years, a short distance from Cooper Union. Um, and uh, in a 1913 article in Harper's Weekly declares that, quote, this famous saloon is 60 years old. So it goes off of saying this opened up in 1854, but historical records show that it was a vacant lot from 1860 to 1861. So where the, the math is adding up, I, I don't know. Huh. Yeah. So according to a 1995 New York Times Streetscapes article by Christopher Gray, the census taker who visited the Irish-born McSorley in 1880 recorded the year the founder of the pub first arrives in the United States as 1855. But immigration records show that he arrived on January 23rd, 1851 at the age of 18, accompanied by Mary McSorley, who was 16. When confronted with the fact that the 1880 census did not contain this entry, Gray corrected it to 1900 in his book. John McSorley appeared in city directories in 1862, and the building his bar occupies was built no earlier than 1858, according to city records. McSorley's is included within the East Village Lower East Side Historic District created by the New York City Landmarks Preservation Commission in 2012. In the district's designation report, 
The building's date of construction was given as 1865, but it notes that indirect evidence may indicate that there was a small structure on the lot before that, since the value of the lot increased between 1848 and 1856, while that of surrounding lots did not, which may be explained by the existence of an unrecorded structure. By 1861, there was a two-story building on the lot, according to tax records, and by 1865, the present five-story one, but it is unclear if the former was extend, extended upwards or a new building was constructed. So, What are these people trying to hide? Right? So weird. But that isn't even the weirdest part of the history of McSorley's. I'm ready. So founding owner John McSorley died in 1910 at the age of 87. In 1936, it was sold by his son, Bill, to Daniel O'Connell, a retired policeman and longtime customer. After O'Connell's death three years later, his daughter, Dorothy O'Connell Kerwin, assumed ownership. Upon her death in 1974 and that of her husband the following year, ownership passed briefly to their son, Danny, before the more recent proprietor, Matthew Maddie Maher, who purchased the bar in 1977 and owned it till his death in January of 2020. So this year he passed away. And I would just like to know, um, I believe I mentioned this also later in my research, but if you didn't hear this before, O'Connell bought it, and then when he died, his daughter, Dorothy O'Connell Kerwin, assumed ownership. So you would think Mm -hmm. at that point, oh, great, now women are going to be allowed in the bar. Nope. She never stepped foot in the bar, and she let her (laughs) husband, yes, she let her husband take over the bar for her. Because they did not allow women. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a weird choice, but okay. But a weird flex, but okay. Yeah, exactly. So now while this place is one of the oldest pubs in New York City, they have had their temporary hiccups, a.k.a. closing. So until 2011, McSorley's maintained a mouser cat, which for those that don't know, is a cat that is used in buildings to get rid of a rodent problem. And they had this cat within their premises until a law was passed ending the practice because it's kind of fucking gross when you think about it. Um, You know cats aren't really... They're clean with themselves, but what they do with the bodies of the animals they kill, do we really know what happens? Mm. So in November 2016, the establishment was briefly closed by the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene due to violations of health code. It then reopened the next week. So in 2017, McSorley's added Feltman's of Coney Island hot dogs to their menu, the first time the menu was somewhat altered in over 50 years. Feltman's owner, Michael Quinn, was a longtime employee at McSorley's, and during the late 19th century, Feltman's restaurant on Coney Island was a popular destination for the McSorley family. So the only reason why it seems like they even slightly changed their menu around was because they knew the family of the hot dog owners. So McSorley's likes to keep it close to the family, keep tradition, keep it simple. Okay. So, of course, with this being one of the most oldest bars in New York City, there had to have been famous people coming through those doors, right? Yes. So, there was a share of famous patrons, including... President Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, who visited no McSorley's. Way. Yep, he visited in 1860 after his famous speech at the nearby Cooper Union. The bar has a framed newspaper announcing his death in addition to a wanted poster seeking the capture of his assassin, John Wilkes Booth. All original, may I add. 
And Peter Cooper was a friend of John McSorley's and a regular. And when he died in 1886, his chair that he always sat in was retired and still currently sits behind the bar. Super cool. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. And E.E. Cummings wrote a somewhat unflattering poem about his time spent at the pub, (laughs) which begins, quote, I was sitting in McSorley's outside. It was New York and beautifully snowing inside snug and evil, end quote. What the fuck? Don't know how to take that. Um, my English teachers from high school, you wanna, you wanna explain this you one to me? Step up? Yeah, fucking bitches, because you guys are all mean to me. Except my junior year AP lit teacher, who was fucking amazing to me. Literally, my first two years, I, I was always a writer. I loved writing growing up. I was mm-hmm. very creative. And then when I got into high school, um, I took advanced, uh, I took advanced writing classes. And for the first two years that I was in high school, my teachers gave me absolute hell, made me feel like I was the worst writer in the world, that I was trash, this and that, and so I stopped writing. And then my junior year, I was in, they, I finally was able to be in an AP class, so I took the AP class, and I had a teacher named Mr. Ryan who rekindled that flame for me to want to continue writing and I've been writing ever since and he's amazing and I love him so much and I still talk to him and he was my inspiration to continue writing and to continue being creative so shout out to you Mr. Ryan you're fucking awesome and fuck you all those other teachers so anyway back to the story um It's also easy to imagine who hasn't visited McSorley over the years. It wasn't until 1970 that women were finally allowed inside. Yes, 1970. That's insane. The pub had a motto, and it was, quote, good ale, raw onions, and no ladies, end quote. (laughs) Oh, my God. And was not yet ready to get with the times. In fact, they fought hard to keep women out of the establishment and even considered becoming a private club to do so. Holy shit. Yeah, but don't cancel them, guys. They aren't like that anymore. So in 1939, the then-owner, Daniel O'Connell, died. Like I said, he gave the bar to his daughter, Dorothy. Like I said, she honored that no woman policy and appointed her husband the manager. So, sorry, it's okay. So, when the bar celebrated its centennial, Kerwin, which was the husband, had her celebrate. Well, that was the last name. Her last name she took over. She had her celebratory drink outside on the sidewalk. What the fuck? She wasn't like, hey, it's been 100 years. Maybe we should let women in now. Yeah, she celebrated that centennial outside as women should, supposedly. And then, after women were finally admitted, get this bitch, she declined to be the first woman served. A decision that makes more sense if you know that the first woman's restroom wasn't added there until 16 years later, after women were admitted there. That's like the first thing you should do. I, if you say we're going to have women here, let's make let's either make the bathroom like for everyone or what? I, I it's it's mind boggling. Yeah, yeah. So um, now we're going to go into the spooky kooky ooky stuff. Spending eternity at McSorley's. So McSorley's has all the hallmarks of a classic tourist attraction, but Buggy himself says it's regulars. Um, Buggy, by the way, is someone that works there, says the regulars are really who make this place special. 
11 years in, Buggy still refers to himself as, quote, the new guy. One bartender has been working at McSorley's for 47 years and still counting, and several customers have been coming in on a regular basis since the 1950s. Not a day goes by without someone coming in and starting a conversation with, the last time I was in here, says Buggy. And for some regulars, McSorley's is literally their last stop. The ashes of seven different people are interred in various vessels, including a flask, including a flask, Lily, behind the bar. Hell no. Uh Uh-huh. If you're a close friend of one of the seven, you can request that their vessel be brought out so you can continue to drink together. Uh Uh-huh. No. No. Yeah. Like, listen, I understand being turned into a tree. (laughs) Thank you. Having your ashes spread in the ocean so you can travel far and wide, or even on a Disney attraction, but being turned into a flask. I'm I'm assuming that most of the people that are um, want their ashes here probably had an underlying alcoholic problem, um, but we're gonna leave that for another day. <laughs> that's a discussion <laughs> for that's a discussion for a Patreon episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, anyway um. Spending eternity at McSorley's isn't an option available to everyone. Quote, we won't take just anyone, Buggy says. Because of this exclusivity, patrons have been known to pretty much, I'm not going to say this big word, but pretty much they sprinkle a loved one's ashes on the floor. Okay. Yeah, so they will just, even if they're told they're not allowed to, they'll they'll just throw their ashes onto the floor. And then just have it swept up? Nope, a thin layer of sawdust, a relic from another era when patrons would track in mud and horse manure, still makes it plausible that a bit of someone's grandpa's ashes could be added on to that sawdust layer. So, yeah, you'll see a lot of sawdust when you walk into that place. Um, Could be sawdust, could be Grandpa John's ashes. You don't know, it's all mixed in together. So basically wear closed-toed shoes so you don't get someone's grandfather stuck in between your toes. Exactly, exactly. This is not an evening for Birkenstocks, ladies. (laughs) Closed-toed shoes, but not because we're trying to keep it classy. (laughs) Of course, we all know that spirits may not haunt locations, but sometimes objects themselves. So unlike the drinks, which are slammed on the bar seconds after ordering, Change arrived slowly at McSorley's, like previously explained. And in 1994, Mm -hmm. Teresa Maher de la Haba, daughter of current owner Matthew Maher, became the first first woman to tend the battered wooden bar. The decor hasn't changed much in the past 165 years. Pieces are rarely added or removed, and everything is perpetually dusty. When Harry Houdini visited in the early 1900s, he was issued a challenge by O'Connell, then a regular patron, former policeman, and then the eventual McSorley's owner. Quote, you can get out of your own handcuffs, but how about you try escaping from mine, end quote. Houdini accepted and did escape, leaving both sets of cuffs behind. Houdini's set is hanging from the ceiling while O'Connell's remains cuffed to the bar. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps the most famous artifacts are the wishbones dangling from a gas lamp above the bar. After finishing a free meal at the bar, soldiers departing to serve World War I left their wishbones from turkeys, chickens, and one duck, intending to collect them upon their safe return. In 2011, a city health inspector insisted that the wishbones, encased in years of dust, be cleaned. (laughs) 
Not even taken down. Just, you know what? Just clean just the bones. Just clean them. Just throw a little pledge on them. You'll be good to go. Little Dawn, you know, the ones they use for the ducks and the oil oh, Dawn barges and stuff. Oh, everything out. Everything. I literally only use Dawn because of their duck commercials and how oh they my clean God, the little yes, ducks. When they had the oil spill? Yes. My heart. Literally oh. still by Dawn for that reason. Good job, marketing team at Dawn. So, Congratulations, Dawn. <laughs> Health inspectors also had a problem with another McSorley's regular, Minnie the Second, one of the many cats who have had the pub as their home over the years. John McSorley loved cats, keeping up to 18 in the bar at once. A quick immortalized by John French Sloan in his 1929 painting called McSorley's Cats. In 2011, New York City passed a law forbidding bars and restaurants from keeping cats. Minnie was forced out, and five years later, the health department, like I said, closed McSorley's for four days while they resolved the rodent problem they had. Mm, um, <laughs> sounds like the cats were a good idea. Mm-hmm. And McSorley's keeps its historically old-fashioned charm by its operations. There are no bar stools, and all seating is communal. The only other drink available, like I said, in addition to the two ales, is soda and a limited, reasonably-priced pl- food menu that's posted daily onto two chalkboards. There are no TVs at McSorley's and no ambient music. The only noises you'll hear are the clinking of glasses and the muted hum of people's conversations. Quote, at a sports bar, your eyes are glued to the TV, says Buggy. Here, you have to talk. Everyone chats, has a good time, and leaves happy. End quote. I love that. I like that. It just, it's sometimes good to have tradition not tradition where there's misogyny or racism or anything like that. Yeah. But when it's, you know, when it's something like that where it means to bring people together as a community, I like that. Exactly. Okay. Bring, yeah, if it's bringing people together instead of keeping them apart, why not, like, you, you know, keep that tradition? Very well said. So I found an experience that um, was researched by Laura Haladic, and it mm-hmm. starts... My mother and I visited McSorley's Ale House in January 2010. The bar is within walking distance of Cooper University, which I am sure the students there greatly appreciate. The swinging wooden doors with their oval windows are worn along the edges from 156 years of use. Sawdust is strewn across the floor, and coal-burning pot-bellied stove keeps the place warm and inviting. I met with a bartender known as Pepe, who has bartended at McSorley since 1973. At first, I thought it was odd to see the the black plastic garbage bag suspended at his waist under his apron. But I soon realized how much sense it made as waterproofing or beer proofing for his trousers. That's actually really smart. (laughs) That is really smart. The future is now. Thanks, Pepe. But Pepe's real name is actually Steven Zwayarskik. Yeah, we're just going to call him Pepe because I don't know how to say his last name. (laughs) (laughs) He's not phased by the reports of ghosts and other paranormal activity at McSorley's. In fact, he laughingly pointed out two regular customers, Brian and Mark, as the most paranormal things to happen to him. (laughs) That's such a dad joke. What does that even mean? I guess he calls him spooky kooky Um, Brian has been coming to McSorley since the early 1980s when he was in the eighth grade. Back then, he said, he was the same height as he is now and weighed only 20 pounds less. Mark, <laughs> Mark was at the end of the bar where Minnie, the cat, was curled up in the corner. I asked Pepe, was there ever a time when you were completely creeped out by being here? Without missing a beat, he pointed to Brian and replied, nothing has ever creeped me out except him. Another, jo- another dad joke. 
And as you could tell, this is a more of a dated article. This, I think, was from, like, 2004 because Minnie was still allowed in the bar. Anyway, Mark chimed in that a friend of his once rented the apartment above the bar. Um, He would occasionally hear tables and chairs moving as well as distant voices long after the bar was closed for the night. Pepe was kind enough to bring owner Matthew Maher down to the bar so I could interview him. Although Matthew has been living and working in New York City since 1964, he's maintained a sweet Irish brogue. I asked him, have you had any ghostly experiences while working here? And he chuckled and said, have you got a year to spare? What? (laughs) Well, that certainly got my attention. Are you breathing heavy into your phone? What are you doing? Me? Yeah, you. No, it's just on my, it's on my, like, collarbone. I'm hearing some weird breathing on your end, and it's creeping me out, so cut it out. Sorry, I'll breathe quieter. Yes, Lily, damn it, stop breathing so... It could also be, I'm under a fuzzy blanket right now, so it could be picking up, like, the rustling of the blanket. Oh. I'm completely still and stop breathing. Okay, and if that, if you stop breathing and I still hear breathing, I think we have more problems than Lily's lack of breathing. Okay. (laughs) So anyway, Maher told me that McSorley's is famous for always having at least one feline on staff at the bar. One night after closing, Maher was cleaning up the kitchen. He returned to the bar area and saw the cat at the end of the bar purring and nuzzling up against an unseen hand that was petting it. According to Dr. Philip Ernst Schoenberg, tour guide for Ghosts of New York, whenever a cat is seen in the window of McSorley's, Harry Houdini is present as the spirit inside the cat. Why Houdini, you asked? Dr. Schoenberg claims that the set of handcuffs secured to the footrail of the bar once belonged to Houdini. Like we obviously said before. Yeah. Maher also pointed out the print depicting McSorley's that hangs behind the bar. He said that when a local artist presented the print to him, Maher immediately commented, Very nice. You even included one of the McSorley cats. The artist, appearing confused, stood back and carefully examined the print. He told Maher that he never painted the cat and had no idea how it ended up in the finished print. The cat's body is facing the entrance of McSorley's, but its head is turned, looking over its shoulder toward the rear of the dining area. According to Ted Andrews in his book, Animal Speak, cats represent mystery, magic, independence, and nighttime. In ancient Egypt, the cat was revered and usually represented the goddess Bast. Cats have been associated with witches as their familiars. In this respect, it is believed that the cat embodies the spirit of a former witch who crossed the line and did something worthy of punishment. That punishment is to incarnate as a cat and serve the needs of another witch for nine lives before being allowed to incarnate once more as a human. It's interesting to note that cats are typically feminine in their energies and connections. McSorley's did not allow women in the bar until the 1970s, yet the cats have been present all along. So they allowed female cats, but not female humans. Yeah, I, I, and I did not even know about the history behind um, how, how Egyptians saw cats and their symbolism, yeah. and then... Um, the nine lives. I always heard of nine lives, but I never understood that it meant that it served the need of a witch for nine lives before being incarnated once back into a human. Never knew that. That is, yeah, that is, I mean, it's funny how things run so much deeper than you initially think, right? Yeah, well, it's like, it's like a game of telephone. It starts off as one thing and then over time 
the 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 information gets slightly twisted but it, when you go back to the original source and the history of it it's oh yeah i've heard of nine lives but i didn't realize this was the original meaning behind the nine lives yeah so that is the history and the haunting of mcsorley's i like it and you said it's on the lower west side it is on it's on 15 East 7th Street in Manhattan. I'm not sure what cross streets there are um, on, seven, on, on that 7th Street, but um, it's like the Lower East Side. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, lower it's the Lower East, East side. side, yeah. Yeah, if it's 7th, because they go from East to West num- numerically, right? And the streets east are... East and West. Vertical. East and West. But yeah, yeah, and it says here Lower East Side. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, that is the history of McSorley's. I did not expect for all that information to be in a small little bar like McSorley's, but I guess if you're there for 165 years, you got to expect some sort of crazy history, right? It's funny because if I were, like, let's say for some reason I wandered in there, I would not expect, like, a tiny little, like, tap house bar to have so much history. You know, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, those are weird wishbones. And then they'd be like, they're from soldiers. And I'd be like, what's with the handcuffs? And they'd be like, they're Harry Houdini's. Crazy. Hopefully not in that voice, but, you know. Yeah. I hope to God not in that voice. (laughs) All right, Lily, what is your last restaurant or bar you'll be talking about today? Okay. It is, oh my God. Sorry, I got a pop up. Um, now I need to scroll back down because I closed the document. Let's see. Okay. The Whitney Mansion in Michigan. So. Built in 1894 by one David Whitney Jr., the Whitney Mansion isn't your typical American diner. Estimated to have cost $400,000 or $9.5 million today, with a further $11 million spent on furniture and interior, it has more in common with the aristocratic manners of England than it does of other dwellings in its vicinity. The restaurant, like many mansions of its kind over the pond, also swirls with rumors of supernatural activity. Ghostly tales from the residents include apparitions appearing in windows and a lift that follows employees from floor to floor. David Whitney Jr.'s wife died during construction of the house, explains John Leach, sommelier and director at the Whitney restaurant and a paranormal skeptic until taking his position at the establishment only a few months ago. So that's crazy how in a couple of months, just this one place turned like a man into a complete skeptic. I mean, from a skeptic into a complete believer. Yeah, it's nuts. And if you look at this place, like it looks like a haunted mansion, like exactly what it is. And where is this located again? Uh, I think it's, like, just in Detroit in Michigan. Oh, okay. Okay. But it is, like, a very medieval, like, European-inspired style. It's, like, a brownstone. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I think the roof must have been copper once, but it's turned to green. Oh, like, over time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, Statue of Liberty vibes. Mm -hmm. Oh, such such a Statue of Liberty vibe. Oh, my God. You're such an SOL. Who wore it better? Oxidized copper edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Can you tell I've, I'm just overworked? Because that's fucking the height of comedy for me right now. 
all of our listeners are like, why am I still listening to this? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so Whitney then married his wife's sister, who also died in the house, as did David himself four years after his completion. So, yeah, a lot of bodies around here. When Detroit's population and boundary expanded soon after Whitney's death, the house went from being in a plush area on the outskirts of the city with a beautiful sports club next door to being overrun by the explosion of mass production. A soda canning factory opened next door, somewhat dampening the aristocratic vibe. Uh, And then we have a quote from the same guy. Um, A few decades later, after Whitney's death, nobody wanted to buy the place. A caretaker lived in it for 20 years or so until it was given to the Wayne County Medical Society. It then became a hospice for tuberculosis patients, which, of course, added to the horror stories. Ghostly tales from the residents include apparitions appearing in windows, the lift following employees from floor to floor, and every Sunday, alongside dinner service, the restaurant offers haunted tours. Whilst today, during my visit, there's also quote, an audience with Billie Holiday tribute act, not her ghost on the second floor. <laughs> Which, when I read that, it made me think of the ghost of Duke Ellington on Big Mouth. Yes! Oh my god! Yes! Exactly! I love that show. The performer's songs linger in the building's regal hallways, complementing the spectral ambience that the estate naturally exudes. After our meal, which consists of an outstanding beef wellington, Duke Ellington, Wellington. I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. (laughs) Um, And a fine bottle of red wine. Leach leads us through various rooms and passageways, describing his own personal experiences in the house. Quote, the electrics here were installed by Thomas Edison, who was a personal friend of David Whitney. That's actually really cool. That is. It's It's so cold, each light has an individual, I mean, old, sorry, not cold. It's so old, each light has an individual switch. Can you imagine having to visit every corner of every room just to switch them off each night before we leave? Let's just say the restaurants had a lot of employees over the years. (laughs) Leech is a fine fine blend of offbeat and personable, a bit like Philip Seymour Hoffman. A bit like a Philip Seymour Hoffman character. He even looks like him a bit. If this was an actual horror film, he'd probably make it to the final scene. (laughs) That's rare to find someone who would actually survive in a horror film. I know I'd be dead. I feel like I would, like, last to, like, I'd be, like, the final two or three. And then I would just get too lazy. And then I would just be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm not running anymore. You'd be the one who's like, I don't want to pay for therapy after this. <laughs> fucking kill me. Just end my misery. Exactly. Um, so the house itself is one of the most elegant you can imagine. David Whitney died the richest man in Detroit, and it tells. Banisters and facades contain wood sourced from every continent on the planet whilst the construction itself is made of rose-colored South Dakota jasper, a special type of granite. The place oozes class. The symmetry throughout the building is astounding. Leach tells us that the music room on the first floor is geometrically correct within a thousandth of an inch. It feels like we've walked through all 22,000 feet of the property when our guide has a wild card area. 
I've never actually been to one part of the property. Do you want to look at the outhouse? <laughs> According to our server, talking on his cigarette break in the restaurant's garden, the outhouse is the most haunted area of the property. Originally built for Whitney's slaves, a part of history that the current incarnation can't ignore, Leach tells us of a rumor that in one room, a table is set for afternoon tea and it's been there untouched for as long as anyone can remember. As we climb steep stairs, iPhones in hand, in an almost pitch black darkness, this part of the estate is off limits to the public and has no lights. There it is. That's creepy. Covered in dust, a dormant dining table, otherwise perfectly set. It looked like it had been there since Woodrow Wilson was oh, in office. Oh, that's creepy as fuck. Yeah, and there's, I'll post the link, I don't remember the name of the site, but I'll post the link to this article as well because it's got some beautiful pictures. Like, it's very ornate. Okay. Right, like the ceilings are like carved. It's got like these beautiful carpets. There's like a baby grand piano in one picture. Like, it's amazing. So at this point, Leach genuinely panics and goes quiet for the first time in an hour before beelining for the exit. The Whitney definitely has a supernatural air about it. Although a paranormal skeptic with borderline contempt for anyone that believes in ghosts, including my mom, nobody is spared, I must concede that I was weirded out. Uh, maybe it was the context of the evening. My brain, the Beaujolais which I think I'm pronouncing right, B-E-A-U-J-O-L-I-A-S, which I'm guessing is a type of wine? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but there was something unusual about that outhouse. If ghosts aren't your thing, there's still plenty to like about the Whitney. Its elaborate American cuisine and, it, and interior design are to die for. And yes, that pun was intended. <laughs> so this place, much like... Um, the Cranberry Inn seems to kind of embrace their haunted past, like their their heavy past and the possibility of being haunted. And I couldn't find, I searched, like, the depths of the internet to try to find, like, an encounter story, mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't. I feel like in situations like these, when, I mean, if you're staying there to eat, what are you there for at most two hours? What real experiences are you going to have there that you could say, oh, yeah. like, you, you probably have experiences, but you don't realize that it's a paranormal experience unless you True. later reflect. And then those that maybe work there, they may be scared to speak out about it. So yeah. you have to think of it, especially because when I was doing my research, too, on these haunted restaurants, while I did find some experiences, they weren't encounters like we have had in previous topics a lot of a lot of our really good in-depth experience encounters that we read are ones from haunted haunted homes or places where people are staying for periods of time where they can actually like come up with a lot of information and evidence restaurants yeah. a little harder no absolutely i i agree i think that and i think you're right about you know people not being there for long enough to realize and this doesn't seem like the type of place, like the bar you just talked about where there are like regulars, you know, it doesn't seem like a kind of like a neighborhood restaurant. It seems like somewhere where you like go for a nice fancy dinner. You know I, what I, I mean? I agree. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, oh, let's just go down the street to the Whitney. You know? Yeah. You know? Well, the pictures so, look really good. So. Yeah. So it it's, it 
doesn't really strike me yeah. as, you know, that kind of place where there would be, you know, a lot of people hanging out frequently enough for people to realize. I agree. So, and you're right that people who were worked there and, ha- and were worked there, that doesn't flow syntax much, Lily. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if that counts as syntax, but people who have worked there and were employed there might not want to speak out because they might, you know, be dismissed as just a disgruntled ex-employee or something of that nature. So, but I I feel like this guy who was a skeptic kind of getting freaked out and at one point making a beeline for the door, he probably heard something or saw something Mm -hmm. or remembered something that he had heard or seen. Yeah, definitely. All right. What's your last? Place. Okay, so I left this for last just because the person that supposedly haunts this saloon is one of my favorite authors ever, and this city that this saloon is in holds a very special place in my heart because that is where my favorite football team resides, and I'm going to be talking about the horse who came in on saloon in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes, I'm a big Baltimore Ravens fan. For those that don't know, usually every season, Mike and I go down and we spend the night or two um, at a hotel close to the Baltimore Stadium, the MT&T Bank Stadium, and uh, watch an awesome game of football. I meant to tell you, I have a coworker who'll just walk around going, whoop, whoop, big trust. I love it. Oh, my God. Big trust. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. So we're talking about ghosts. Um, So uh, in Baltimore, you don't have to go far to experience supernatural. There's a lot of haunted history in Baltimore that I'd love to get into further. There's a lot of uh, places in Fells Point specifically that are reportedly haunting, and that includes the horse you came in on, where unexplained things can be a part of everyday experiences there, not just on Halloween. Quote, it has been around for a lot of time. It's got a lot of history, said the bar manager, Robert Napier. So the bar and restaurant in Fells Point dates back to 1775. It's built with a tin ceiling that that predates electricity and has some of the original brick. There is still an entryway to the speakeasy, which was open during Prohibition. The horse you came in on saloon is the only bar in Maryland to exist before, during, and after Prohibition. It's also the last, yeah, and it's also the last place that Edgar Allan Poe was seen alive. So, for those that don't know who Edgar Allan Poe is, um, he was an American writer, poet, editor, and literary critic. Poe is best known for his poetry and short stories, particularly his tales of mystery and macabre. And one of his more famous poems, The Raven, is the reason why the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, Maryland, are named that. Because of Edgar Allan Poe and his story, The Raven. So, for those that didn't know that, now you know. Um, Quote, Edgar Allan Poe was theorized to have had his last drink here, found him a couple blocks up the street, and passed away on his way to the hospital, end quote, Napier said. The two, Yeah, the 244-year-old bar has been the subject of many ghost stories nationwide. There are a lot of people who don't want to be in here by themselves if they're closing the bar back or something like that. There's a lot of lights turning on, turning off, TVs turning on and turning off. Quote, I walked by the bar and a glass is just sitting on the, on the bar and it just shatters out of nowhere. And I turn Ooh. around to see the guy who's behind me. 
His eyes were this big and goes, I was working last night and the same exact thing happened to me in the same exact spot, end quote, Napier said. More than one bar patron has looked in the mirror and reportedly saw an image other than his own. Quote, I was in here one morning opening and I was the only person in here. I had my head down doing something behind the rail and I was so convinced that somebody walked by. I said, you can't be in here. We're not open yet. I looked up and there was nothing, end quote. And that also was from Napier. So this bar manager has been through a lot of shit here. <laughs> yeah, well, I was about to say that I really respect anyone who sees a glass spontaneously shatter one night and then goes back the next. Exactly, exactly. I would have been out. Like, mm-hmm. hell no. Mm-hmm. So a desk drawer is set to open on its own on the fourth floor, and no one wants to be left alone in the attic. If that door is cracked at all, the hair on your, the back of your neck is all the way up. Saloon guests have reportedly spotted the famous writer's ghost on multiple occasions. To validate this was Poe's favorite drinking hole. Many who have also claimed to see his ghostly apparition walking down the street toward the saloon. Poe is known to sip on his favorite drink, a cognac, that bartenders leave out for him specifically. Sometimes the cash register drawer will mysteriously keep opening without the staff initiating it. The chandelier has been seen swinging on its own without a breeze. The employees of the tavern have nicknamed their ghost Edgar for this specific reason. Late one night, two employees were closing up and locked the front door. Suddenly, a beer mug sitting on top of the bar shattered into a pile of broken glass for no reason at all. Again? Again. Uh Uh-huh. And um, it was of a shattered beer mug that exploded in the same place. On the bar, just as he was closing up, same exact situation happening, yeah? So this seems to be some sort of fucked up residual haunting. Um, And the Food Network claims that this tavern has high energy levels, quote, which perhaps explains why floating orbs, believed to be a form of spirit's energy, have been spotted at the bar, end quote. Poe is certainly honored here. His portrait hangs on the wall behind the bar where all can offer him a toast as they sip on their favorite beverage. In October 2019, the Food Network awarded two titles to this favorite neighborhood bar. The horse you came in on saloon was recognized as America's oldest continually operating saloon and as the most haunted restaurant in Maryland. And that is the history of the horse you came in on saloon in Baltimore, Maryland. You got to go there next time you're down there. Fuck yes. I literally told Mike like about the research we were doing, and I was like, we have to go here. We've been to so many amazing places in Baltimore when we've been, but yeah. this one, I, I can't believe I've never heard of it before. I feel like if I were there, I'd just be sitting there like, Hmm, sure would be a shame if this glass shattered. <laughs> trying to get some ghost to shatter the glass. Hmm, I, I, I'll leave this glass on the bar alone. And I'll leave and some then, like, cognac. While I walked away. Yeah. All right, guys. So on that note, that concludes this episode of Just Ghoulie Things. Thank you so much for listening. And Lily, do you have anything to wrap us up with before we get on with our socials? Um, huh. Uh, if you have any local, like, haunted restaurants with stories, email us at justgoolythingspodcast at gmail.com. All right. we'd love to do another episode of these. Oh, for sure. I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that. I, like I said, I found so much information. I was getting more overwhelmed of trying to pick which restaurants I was going to do 
rather than it like I, usually you get overwhelmed because you're like oh my god I need to find information I can't find enough information this that the other thing this I was yeah. like I'm finding too much information like I don't know where to start I know I was like trying to pick one and I, I just I started because I was like okay well let's do one in New Jersey and there were like 50 in New Jersey yeah. I was like shit yeah, one of the ones I have, too, is from New Jersey, and I was thinking about that one because that has really, really cool, dark history, but we'll leave mm-hmm. that for uh, part two of Haunted Restaurants and Bars. Sounds good. All right. Follow us on Instagram at... Just Willie Things Podcast. Our personal Instagrams at Rebecca Reber and... At Lily Baldessere. Twitter. JGT Podcast. Facebook like page. Just Willie Things Podcast. Facebook private group. Just Willie Things Podcast. Donate to our Patreon. Which has a new episode coming soon. It is Just Cooly Things Podcast. Yes, it does. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience you'd like to share in our show, feel free to email us at JustCoolyThingsPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, Boo Things, and we will talk to Boo next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.